Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Hugh said, I'm Jacob. I'm the Ministry Apprentice here at Grace. Uh, it's wonderful to have you here with us. If you're new or visiting, um, feel free to hang around afterwards and grab me for a chat or anything if you're new. Um, as Betty read for us, we're in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 22 to 40. So if you have that open, uh, and you can keep an eye on it. I'll give you a sec to find it. I don't know if you've ever noticed that bucket lists have become a really big thing, perhaps, over the last couple of decades. You log into any social media, and you'll probably be inundated with articles telling you what you must do before you die. Our culture is obsessed with getting the most out of life. And people get very anxious at the thought of good things in life just passing them by. And it can even, you can become quite jealous of others who seemingly have a more desirable and comfortable life than their own. This isn't a problem just with culture outside of church, is it? But it's also a problem inside the church as well. Maybe the only difference is that perhaps we're just a bit more discreet. We're a bit more discreet with the dissatisfaction. It would seem some more indecent, wouldn't it, to complain about not having a holiday that you wished for because you've given your 10% to the Lord. Or to express angst at the fact that we have given up a more comfortable life to give our time and talents to serve a church family or even giving up some of our money to contribute towards a building project. If we're honest, we struggle, don't we? But our disappointment, well, we keep it a little bit more subtle. We bury it deep and down and keep it a little bit more secret. We don't wear it on our sleeve quite as much as our friends and family out with church. I felt this quite acutely. Uh, a few Christmases ago, I, like many people, was not able to make it home. And that was due to lockdown. And while some friends invited me to theirs, and it was and that was very thankful for that, it was still difficult to not have moments, as I saw friends on social media, spend time with their loved ones, to not have moments of feeling bitter, to feel like I was missing out. But what is the answer? What is the answer to this fear of missing out? How do we lose ourselves from this oppression of feeling like we've let life pass us by? Well, I think the answer comes in Simeon's song here in this passage. In this passage, we meet a man who can confidently say, I can now depart in peace, for my eyes have seen my salvation. He doesn't need to see anything more. He doesn't need to see the Great Wall of China. He doesn't need to see the Taj Mahal. You know, he doesn't even need a comfortable retirement. He has seen all that he needs in his life, and he can die a content and happy man. It's a staggering claim to make, isn't it? He claims that what he saw on that day when he walked into the temple trumps absolutely everything else in this world and makes everything else obsolete in, com in comparison. So what is it that he saw? Well, Simeon can die in peace because he has seen that Jesus is the king who brings salvation. This is what Simeon is so excited and thrilled about. And that's our first point today. Jesus is the king who brings salvation. Mary and Joseph arrive into Jerusalem with Jesus for two reasons. Firstly, to make a sacrifice for Mary, because she was still considered unclean after giving birth to Jesus. And secondly, to prevent Jesus to the Lord at the temple, as keeping with the law in verse 22. The law required ever since God rescued his people from Egypt and rescued their firstborn sons. Now look his reasons for including these details about Jesus' family, keeping the law. It shows us, the reader, that even from birth, Jesus kept the law and that was essential if he was to be our perfect substitute. But what these verses also do is simply explain how this family came to encounter this rather remarkable man, Simeon, in the temple. And we're going to focus on that encounter today. So what are we told about Simeon? Well, we're told that he is a genuine believer. 
Notice the detail we get about him in verse 25. He is righteous, he is devout, the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon was one of God's faithful people, the remnant who hadn't given up hope of God's promises despite the very bleak times that he was living. The last time anything exciting had happened to Israel from a Jewish perspective was during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah some 500 years prior, when it looked like the Jews might have a chance of rebuilding Jerusalem and making Israel a great nation again. But that project collapsed spectacularly as God's people were plagued by rank apostasy and gave up on following the Lord. And since then, there have been no words from God, no king in Israel, no presence of God in the temple, and Israel had been subjugated by superpower after superpower after superpower ever since. The promises that God had given in the Old Testament of Israel being a light to the nation and living under a righteous king who would defeat all their enemies, well, they seem deeply unrealistic now, as if they'd almost been snuffed out completely. But not for Simeon. He was a man, despite his miserable and hopeless surroundings, he hadn't stopped waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Verse 25, waiting to be comforted for all those promises that he had been waiting on to finally come true. And the only hope of, what, of that happening was if a two, true son of David took the throne. That's what the prophecies about Israel's restoration in the Old Testament stated. And that's what Simeon had been told that he would see with his very own eyes before he died. Verse 26, he would see the Lord's Messiah, the promised king he'd been waiting for. There had been many king and David, kings in David's line come and go throughout the ages. Some good, some not so good, but none had ushered in this perfect kingdom that had been waiting for. None of them had brought this comfort to Israel that, that Israel had so longed for from now, uh, until now. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon enters the temple and scoops Jesus up into his arms. The one he had been waiting for has finally arrived. On the world stage, here he is, and Simeon is ecstatic. So much so, he must break out into song. Don't worry, I'm not going to myself. But in verse 29 to 32, the king, like none before him, was finally... The king, like number four, him was going to finally bring salvation. Verse 30, he was going to bring about a great rescue that wasn't just going to be done behind closed doors. No, but look at verse 31. Be seen by absolutely everyone the world over. You know, did you notice that there's a lot of language about the things being seen and revealed in this passage? Did you notice that when we did you notice that when Betty read it out for us? Simeon's I see God's salvation. Secondly, the salvation will be performed in the presence of all peoples. It will be a light and a revelation. This song of praise is all about Simeon seeing something that one day will be seen by absolutely everyone. Not just bringing glory to Israel, but to the whole world, verse 32. Now I think because we're good evangelicals, we think we know what that salvation is about. I imagine we think this way that we think salvation is all about Jesus dealing with our personal sin and getting us to heaven. And that's true, it's not less than that. But the Bible doesn't use that salvation word exclusively about talking about our personal sin and our guilt. In fact, here Simeon is alluding to something far bigger than that. Salvation means rescue from slavery. To live under a new king who will defeat all your enemies. That's what Simeon has in mind here when he uses the word salvation. Just like what happened in Exodus. And if you remember the events of Exodus... They were heard by absolutely everyone, weren't they? Can you remember what Rahab said when she met the spies as they came into the land? 
She said that when her people heard of what the Lord did at the Red Sea, rescuing Israel, God's people from slavery, bringing salvation to them, and the nations trembled as a result. The incident was unmissable in the ancient world. Everyone knew about this great act of salvation. And Simeon says that this salvation coming through Jesus, this child he held in his hands was going to be like that, but only on a much larger scale. Everyone was going to know about the events that were going to unfold through this child's life. But it begs the question, what did they expect this salvation to look like in their time? The faithful remnant at the time, I imagine, looked forward to someone in David's line, taking the throne, taking care of their enemies, and slowly expanding their empire to cover the face of the world. It was a huge vision, and that is exactly what Jesus did, but perhaps not in the way they imagined. Jesus is the king they'd been waiting for, but he didn't target the Romans. He didn't target the big superpower of the day. No, Jesus went straight for the jugular and attacked Israel's ultimate enemy. He took on sin and death. Jesus took on the devil's ultimate weapons and dealt with them once and for all. Once he had dealt with the death blow to death and brought the devil to his knees, well, he would then offer the people the world over the opportunity to become part of his kingdom before he returns again and mops up all that remain in opposition to him. The success and expansion of his kingdom was therefore inevitable after he had secured the ultimate victory. It's inevitable that one day his kingdom will cover the face of the earth because his opponent has already been defeated. His biggest opponent has been done with. Therefore, one day everything on earth will finally be like it is in heaven. There'll be no more warfare, no sin, no heartache, no famine, no earthquakes, no death, no evil, no strife. The whole world will be glorious, verse 32. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's exactly why Simeon is so ecstatic. That's why he says he can now depart in peace, verse 29. His eyes have seen all that they need to. He has seen that God's salvation, he, in this infant child, he has seen what will lead to a restored world, where God's people enjoy him in glory forever and evil is no more. Now, when you've caught a glimpse of that, seeing the Niagara Falls pales in comparison, doesn't it? When you grasp what Simeon has grasped, all your dreams, however well-intentioned, must become subservient to the greater vision. So when a few Christmases ago I felt like I was missing out on what Christmas had to offer by not being at home, what I should have thought was, while it was sad that I couldn't be with my folks having Christmas dinner, I hadn't missed out on anything in comparison to what I found. I've missed absolutely nothing, but my eyes have seen salvation just like Simeon did back then, and today I could die a happy man. I need to see nothing else in this world for all things pale in comparison to knowing Jesus who is renewing the whole cosmos and allowing me to play a part in that and to enjoy it with him. I've missed out on nothing. However, what is tragic, what is worth, worth weeping tears for, is for all those who go from one small joy to the next, trying to get the most out of life and yet miss the greatest gift that are, that's on offer, salvation. They miss out on the greatest treasure because they are preoccupied with lesser things. Listen to these words from C.S. Lewis. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's tragic. Well, you might ask, how on earth do people miss this? Well, Simeon says that what Jesus is doing is being prepared in, in the presence of old people in verse 30. Jesus hasn't started rolling out his salvation plan in secret. He's doing it in open view. So why do people miss out on what is offered? Why don't all my rational friends arrive at the truth that I've arrived at and put their trust in Jesus and enjoy becoming part of his kingdom and enjoy the salvation he offers? Well, the answer comes in verses 34 and 35. Joseph and Mary are still flabbergasted at what Simeon has just revealed when he goes on and tells them even more staggering truths about their son. He tells them that Jesus is the king who will divide humanity. And that's our second point today. Jesus is the king who, div who brings division. Simeon says that Jesus is coming and the working out of his salvation plan is going to lead to the fall of some in Israel and the rising of others, verse 34. This sign, this activity of God in sending Jesus into the world to rescue us, is, it's going to be opposed. And that's the same message of the whole Bible. That's exactly what the prophets told us to expect. Isaiah said that Christ would become both a sanctuary to some and a stumbling block to others. In other words, when this rescue plan starts to roll out, Simeon tells, tells us that many people are going to be offended by it. Rather than reacting the same way that he does, jumping for joy and singing, they're going to reject Jesus and his kingdom. Not because it's impossible to believe, not because God hasn't revealed it to the world, but because it exposes our human hearts, and that's simply uncomfortable. Verse 35. The truth is some people would rather ignore this amazing revelation and the chance of living in a wonderful kingdom, this perfect world under Jesus' rule, Jesus' good rule. Simply, they carry on as they are. They don't want the thoughts of their hearts to be revealed. Verse 35. They'd rather sink back into the shadows and be king of their own little empires, destined for destruction in the end, rather than bend the knee to Jesus now. And what people also find it offensive about God's salvation plan is what Simeon alludes to in verse 35, when he says a sword will pierce through Mary's soul. He's alluding to the fact that this great act of salvation is only going to come through heartbreak, through the cross. Most of the people at the time probably weren't expecting that, although they had every right to based on the prophets, but a dead king on a cross certainly doesn't look like salvation, does it? And as a result, many people rejected Jesus, and people do the exact thing today, don't they? They look at Jesus hanging on the cross and think, where is the hope there? Where is the salvation? What people make of at the cross and what it reveals of their hearts, ultimately that they're sinful, will ultimately decide whether they jump up and down with joy with Simeon and need to see nothing else in life, or sink back into the shadows and live lives of lesser meaning. It's desperately sad, but that's the reality. And that's important for us to know, isn't it? Luke doesn't want us to be rocked by the fact that others we love don't believe. Rather, he wants us to take courage in the fact that God said it would always be this way. As well as bringing a great salvation, he would always bring division. And it had to be this way. But only by making clear distinction between God's people, those who trust him and love him and have come under his rule, and those who rebel against them and stay emperors or empresses of their own little empires, can the judge kingdom finally be ushered in at the end? 
at the end of time, division is the precursor of judgment. For Jesus' kingdom to cover the face of the earth and for God's glory to fill the earth, all these opposing empires that he's graciously allowed to run on until the end, till the end of the age, with the hope that they might repent, must be exposed and finally dealt with. So although we don't like the idea of division, I think we can rejoice in it. Because dividing is a step God takes before his final judgment. And only through judgment will Christ's kingdom come and come in its fullness. Only through judgment will will the evil that we so hate be eradicated once and for all and a perfect world be ushered in. So we shouldn't be surprised by the fact many still reject the Lord Jesus and his offer of becoming part of his kingdom. We can't let the fact that many reject Jesus' kingdom rob us of the joy of being part of it. Rather, we must see humanity's divided response to Jesus as an encouragement that his kingdom is indeed coming. One day it will come. One day the things that Simeon had seen back then will come to fruition. But that doesn't mean we sit back, does it? Look forward to the coming world under Jesus, ruled and cared, ruled by him, and care nothing for those who have set themselves up against him. Of course not. So a final point for today is this. Jesus is the king who must be proclaimed. The narrative moves on and there's a scene shift. The camera shifts from Simeon and moves on to his female counterpart, Anna. And God wants us to learn from her how we must respond to what Simeon has just revealed to us. Anna, like Simeon, is depicted as a devout woman, part of the faithful remnant who are waiting for the Christ to appear. Verse 37 tells us she didn't depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And when she arrives at the temple and hears what has been prophesied about this boy... She gives thanks to God and speaks of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Verse 38. Her response to what she has heard, which is exactly the same as what we have heard today, is to tell absolutely everyone she could find about this boy and what he would achieve. She, like Simeon, had come across the one who had put all the wrongs to right in the end, who will bring that comfort, that consolation that the people had been longing for. She had come across the good king who would deal with all their enemies. She had come across the one who would ensure that one day she'd finally live in a perfect world that she so longed for in glory with our Lord. And she just had to tell people about it. How couldn't you? She recognized that nothing in life was as important as this news. And has spent her twilight years not drawing her pension, sitting back, relaxing, reading a good book, but telling absolutely everyone she could about the coming kingdom through the Lord Jesus. This wonderful king she's seen. This lady got moving. And the challenge to us is this, will we do the same? We too have heard all that Anna has heard. We know that Jesus is king. We know that his kingdom will one day fill the earth. And we know that all those who resist him will one day have to answer to him and will not stand before him. But will we just sit back? Will we allow our friends and family to carry on with their bucket lists, desperately seeking all that life has to offer, and yet miss out on the one thing that eclipses absolutely everything that is going on in their life? They can have absolutely everything if they throw in their lot with Jesus. That's what we have to offer. And how different does that look to when you're talking about the gospel to people? We're offering people absolutely everything forever, And if that's the case, let's get moving. But we should also allow this great message to console us personally too. 
to bring us comfort, just like it did Simeon. Like I said at the very start, to some degree, I think we all feel like we've missed out on something in life, whatever that might be. Perhaps you wanted to travel the world but got tried down with family life. Maybe wrestling with ill health for a long time. And you think about how life might have been if you'd just remained healthy. Maybe you've made mistakes. Perhaps you're just really dissatisfied with the seemingly mundane nature of your life. Or you ask yourself simply, what could have been if my circumstances were slightly different? Well, the glorious message of Simeon and Anna is this. If you have seen Jesus rightly and become part of his kingdom, then you have done all that you need to do before you die. You're destined to be part of, the, of, of a kingdom where regret, fear, and disappointment are no more. Your what, your what could have been can be swallowed up by what will be in the end. It doesn't negate your experiences now, does it? Your life will still be painful, but it does give those disappointments that we feel some perspective, doesn't it? You may have missed out on so much in life, but the one thing that really matters is that you have, the one thing that really matters you have not missed out on. You can spend an eternity in a broken world doing all that you've missed out on in this broken one. There's only one thing on God's bucket list, and that is for you to know Jesus, to know the salvation he offers, and to enjoy him forever. So if you've done that, be comforted. You've seen all that you need to see in life. You can depart in peace, for your eyes have seen your salvation. You've missed out on absolutely nothing in comparison, and you've gained absolutely everything. Amen. Why don't I pray as I invite the band to come up? Father God, we give thanks as we uh, open this passage this morning. We give thanks as we see the example of Simeon and Anna. Simeon, who has seen his salvation and can now die a happy man. Father, we pray that that would be for us too that we know your salvation, that we know that we have missed out on nothing else, that we have seen the most important thing that anything can offer. And Father, we pray as we take over from this place that we'd also see Anna's example, that she could not help but proclaim this salvation, this good news to all that she met. And pray that would be like us as we go from this place this week. So Father, I pray that as when we are feeling like we're missing out on something in life, when we are struggling with things that we want to do but can't. Father, I pray that it would be a great comfort to us to know that as much as we have missed out on so much in this life, what we have coming in the next will be so much greater and so much better. So we pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.